Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where so much is happening today. Most importantly, what's happening? A big interview we have with Sidney Powell, the lawyer for General Mike Flynn, one of the key players in unraveling the Russia collusion narrative, the false narrative, the discredited narrative, the debunked narrative. Well, Sidney Powell has played such a critical role in that with all of her advocacy on behalf of uh, General Flynn, the former national security advisor to President Trump. Important stuff we're going to talk about today. Is the judge in her ca- in that case biased? We're going to get her honest opinion on that. We're going to ask her about the latest filings in the case, what the judge could do, what the most important evidence was. Uh, we're going to get to ask her for the first time her impression of that explosive interview by an FBI agent just a few weeks ago. It was just released back in late September. Uh, the agent who led the Mike Flynn part of the investigation in the Russia collusion case, um, saying he felt that people acted with a partisan get Trump approach to the investigation and often overruled his decisions to shut down the probe because it wasn't warranted, because there was no evidence of wrongdoing. We're going to get Sidney Powell's reaction on that. But there's been lots of big new documents being released today. We're going to get you to the top of those. Uh, We've got a development on the Clinton Foundation. Uh Uh-oh. Something's going on in court with it, an investigation, a whistleblower investigation. You're going to want to stay tuned for that. In addition, we've got uh, some newly declassified documents, some text messages from Lisa Page to her boss, Andy McCabe, about the Russia case, some unusual fascination with anti-Trump stories in those text messages. I know that's not going to surprise you. And the famous spreadsheet that I've been talking about for two years, the one where the FBI evaluated every sentence the accuracy and truth of in the Steele dossier. Well, it was made public last night. Just the news had it first. You won't believe what's in those uh, documents, what it says. What an extraordinary story. We're going to get to all that. Plus our interview, our exclusive interview with Sidney Powell. But first, we got to go pay those bills. So let's hear from our great sponsors, our great advertisers, those who make this show possible every day. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote. It's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale. Four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, AMAC.US slash Just News. That's AMAC.US forward slash Just News. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And in just a few minutes, we're going to have the one, the only Sidney Powell here, somebody who's been fighting hard for her client, Michael Flynn, to make the case that his prosecution was unwarranted 
and that the larger Russia collusion narrative was, as so many people have said now, a hoax, a fraud, a deception upon the American people, the courts and the Congress. She'll be here in just a few seconds with the latest developments in the Flynn case, including her effort to bounce the judge, Emmett Sullivan, from the case because, in her words, he's biased against her client. We're going to talk about that, but first, there's been some three major releases of information, two about the Russia case, one about the Hillary Clinton, uh, Bill Clinton Foundation, known as the Clinton Foundation. Let's start with that. So if you remember back a few years ago, if you've been following my reporting, when I was at the Hill, uh, I broke a story that there were these two whistleblowers, former government investigators. I think one worked for the DEA, was sort of their chief of money laundering expert, um, chief expert of money laundering, I should say. Uh, Another was a longtime compliance expert for Wall Street, uh, and they filed a whistleblower complaint at the IRS saying they had gathered significant evidence, I think 6,000 pages worth of, I remember, of wrongdoing by the Clinton uh, Foundation, alleging it violated its tax-exempt status. It acted as a foreign agent collecting money in donations and then trying to gain influence in the U.S. government through the Clinton's um, Rolodex or contacts or influence. Um, People laughed it off uh, at the time, but then uh, they got a hearing before Congress and a House committee chaired by Mark Meadows, now the chief of staff to President Trump. And then shortly after that, uh, the case went to dormant. They were fighting. The IRS tried to get it dismissed, did uh, dismiss it, saying, we're not going to look at this. We're shutting it down. We're not interested in it. And then those two whistleblowers, their names are John Moynihan and Larry Doyle, Moynihan being very respected DEA uh, investigator for a long time and Doyle being a very respected Wall Street compliance expert, they went to a obscure court known as the U.S. Tax Court. It's not the District Court, not the Appeals Court, not the Supreme Court. It's the primary court that deals with issues before the IRS tax compliance. And they went to the court and said, Your Honor, this case shouldn't have been dismissed. It's wrong. It's an abuse authority. We met the threshold for investigation and possible reward money, and we want you to intervene. And Judge Gustafson of the U.S. Tax Court David Gustafson, I believe his name is, he ruled in their favor. That's right. In the last couple of days, he ruled that the IRS decision to shut down this whistleblower investigation was an abuse of its discretion, that the whistleblowers had met the prima facie t- test of um, a, a docu- documentable evidence supporting potential wrongdoing, and he revived the whistleblower case. It's now going to be in his court supervised by him, and we now know that the very first witness that Doyle and Moynihan want to call. This is a big hint. There may be some news and just who they've selected. It's the current executive director of the Accounting Compliance Board in Arkansas, the guy who oversees all the accountants that might have worked for the Little Rock-based Clinton Foundation. We have a sense that there might be some news there, but right now what we want to do is uh, depose him. That's what uh, Doyle and... um, Moynihan told the judge, Judge Gustafson, a few days ago. So a real live whistleblower complaint affirmed by a judge ongoing against the Clinton Foundation, accusing it of acting as a foreign agent uh, of influence and uh, for violating its tax-exempt status by getting involved in political and lobbying activities. That's the allegation that these two men have brought, and that is the allegation that the court, the U.S. tax court, Judge David Gustafson, 
has allowed to go forward in his courtroom as a flu full blown whistleblower case. We're going to have we're going to be following that day in and day out, but a very important development indeed. You can read the latest on justthenews.com. We broke this story yesterday afternoon right as the Barrett hearings were coming to an end. Uh, there's more development since then. Jump in, read the documents, go to dig in, see what we've got. You'll learn it all at justthenews.com. All right, now that's not the only big development. Last night, Just the News and yours truly obtained for the first time the uh, unredacted or mostly unredacted declassified spreadsheet that the FBI kept assessing the honesty, accuracy, verifiability of every sentence in the memos that became known as the Steele dossier. And I've reported on this document. I've gotten credit for it. Even the Washington Post acknowledged I was right about it. The IG acknowledged my reporting on it was right. What I said long ago was the FBI spreadsheet would show the FBI didn't trust Steele's dossier because they couldn't verify anything. Well, guess what? Those stories were right. In fact, I think it actually was worse than the way I reported it. Hardly any sentences in that dossier could be verified by anything other than internet rumors and democratic activists and others. In other words, they had no actionable intelligence that backed up anything Steele said, and they had lots of intelligence and facts that knocked down things Steele said. I'm just going to give you one of them. Michael Cohen, the former lawyer for President Trump, Steele claimed he went to Czechoslovakia to do a cover-up with the Russians to hide their collusion with uh, Donald Trump. Uh, the date of that alleged meeting was August 2016, according to Steele. The FBI checked passports, travel records, flights, uh, intelligence. Guess what? Michael Cohen never went to Prague, never went to the Czech Republic. It was knocked down in real time. And still they trusted the Steele dossier enough to use it to validate their um, FISA warrant against Carter Page targeting the Trump campaign. What a travesty. That's not the only one. There's lots of examples of dates and meetings and times, misspelling of names, the initial analysis that the FBI intelligence analyst did of the Steele dossier showed it immediately for what it was. It was a piece of garbage. It was internet rumor, bogus things. In fact, many times, the only thing that they can find to give some credence to a statement that Steele had made in his dossier was to turn to suspect sources like the Sputnik News Agency. That's a propaganda arm for the Kremlin. That was one of the things they would occasionally use to validate or improve uh, that maybe something could be right, even though they had no intelligence despite the vast reach of the U.S. government. Another one was an article written by a journalist. They called it an uncorroborated article uh, named Andrea Chalupa. Now, if that last name sounds familiar, it should. Her sister Alexandra, or Ali Chalupa, was the woman that was working with the Ukraine embassy back in 2016 to drum up dirt on Donald Trump on Russia. Uh, that's a story that first broke in political, then I developed it further. Uh, the Republicans have said her name and been worried about her activities for a long time. Well, her sister wrote an article, article trying to uh, authenticate or substantiate one of the Steele dossier points, and that's what the FBI had to hang its shingle on. Not good stuff, not actionable intelligence, not corroborated intelligence. The 94 pages of this spreadsheet are now available for all to see on justthenews.com. Go check it out. If you ever had any doubt if the Steele dossier was credible at all, just read this document. You'll walk away convinced it was not, just like Robert Mueller said, just like Devin Nunez said when he was mocked by the Democrats, just like Attorney General Barr has said, just like I have reported, the Steele dossier was a piece of garbage. 
All right, the last thing, which happened to break this morning just a little while ago, a little while ago, um, Senators Ron Johnson and Chuck Grassley sent a letter to Christopher Ray, the director of the FBI. The primary purpose of the letter was to complain that he's still not producing documents that were subpoenaed more than 60 days ago. Uh, too little, too late, they said. They're very angry with him. I'm telling you, Chris Ray's in some trouble if Donald Trump wins the election in November. I don't think he'll be around for entirety of her 10-year term based on what I'm seeing. But that's a long way off. Let's deal with what's in the letter. In the letter, after they continued to gripe and complain about their legitimate grievances, uh, that the FBI is not complying with lawful congressional subpoenas, they revealed they got a small number. I'm not making this up. They got a small number of FBI text messages. No, not between Page and Struck the Lovebirds. We've read all them. We know all about them. But between Page and her boss, Andy McCabe, the deputy director of the FBI, the guy who was fired for lying, the guy who was at the head of the bureau during Operation Crossfire Hurricane, these messages are enlightening. There's only a handful of them. Remember, they're withholding a lot, according to the senators. But they show two things. The top brass at the FBI, Andy McCabe and Lisa Page, were on a first-nine basis with reporters from the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, they were calling each other Andy or Matt. They knew each other, everyone's name. Uh, that's something that suggests that there was a leaking relationship, something that James Comey, certainly a personal relationship between them, something James Comey said didn't happen in his FBI. We know there's a lot of things Comey said didn't happen in his FBI that we later learned did. Uh, he himself leaked the document uh, after his termination and got uh, rung up for it by the inspector general who cited it right as an unlawful disclosure. But uh, Andy McCabe's on a first name basis. But here's the more important thing. In real time, from the moment or just before Operation Crossfire Hurricane began all the way through the fall election into the end of November, Lisa Page and Andy McCabe were trafficking in all the big anti-Trump stories drive, driving the Russian narrative. Uh, including the one that, among all, is the most demonstrably false story ever. The idea that Alpha Bank in Moscow was a secret communications point where Trump and Putin communicated through a server to hijack the election. We now that's not true because Mueller told us it's not true. The IG told us it's not true. A British court told us it's not true. The FBI has been telling us it's not true since the fall of 16. But for some reason, Andy McCabe, and Lisa Page were trafficking in that story, reading it. And when she said it had gone live in the Slate magazine, a very liberal anti-Trump magazine, um, the um, deputy director exclaimed he was happy in some way. I think he used the word awesome in response. Is that the sort of thing you want a nonpartisan deputy director of the FBI doing? Praising as awesome a bogus story criticizing or making up allegations against Donald Trump. I don't know. I, I certainly wouldn't want to see that level of partisanship or bias in there, but they're in these emails, lots of others in there where they're peddling and other anti-Trump stories. I think another one was an arg, arg, uh, uh, essay in lawfare a couple of days before they opened operation crossfire hurricane at the end of July, 2016, where the allegation was Trump may be a Russian agent. And, um, Lisa Page sends that to be read by the deputy director. This was a group of people that didn't like Trump, had it out for Trump, according to their own text messages. They should have been focused on their job, like getting mid-year exam, the Hillary Clinton investigation completed, like when they found those extra emails on Andy we Anthony Weiner's 
laptop and didn't do it. But instead, they were trafficking in all of the anti-Trump rhetoric, all the anti-Trump stories, in contact with all of the anti-Trump reporters, um, the smelly Walmart people. You know all the texts. Well, this accentuates that it wasn't only at the struck and page level. It also occurred at the deputy director's level. That's why I think Andy McCabe is no longer the deputy director. Donald Trump fired him. The administration fired him. All right, you can read all three of these stories on justthenews.com. You can look at the original documents. You don't have to take my word for it. Just click on the Dig In button. You'll be able to see the things for yourself and make up your own mind. That's what we do here at justthenews.com. We try to give you neutral facts and let you make up your own mind. All right, we're going to that commercial break to hear from our great advertisers, our great sponsors, people we love and cherish for their support of this program of Just the News. And when we come back, you know it. You know what's coming. Sidney Powell, the lawyer for Michael Flynn, is joining us in just a few seconds. But first, let's go to the commercial break. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest. You've seen her on TV. You've seen her in the courtroom. You've seen her fighting for her client like no lawyer has fought for a client before. Her name is Sydney Powell, the lawyer for General Mike Flynn. Sydney, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much, John. It's always great to be with you. Well, uh, it's remarkable the work you've done over the last year to unravel so much of the Russia collusion narrative, specific, uh, specifically as it relates to General Flynn. Uh, but last week, you dropped a bombshell in the courtroom. You actually asked Judge Emmett Sullivan, the guy that's been presiding over this whole case, to be dismissed, recused from the case because he's shown bias. Tell us a little bit about what led you to do that and what sort of things you've seen in recent weeks that you know, amplify the fact that you thought he was a biased judge. Well, it's been an ever-escalating series of events that have led me to the conclusion that he had to be disqualified under the applicable statutes. The, the last straw for me as a matter of law was when he actually filed his own petition for rehearing in the Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit when he was actively litigating against General Flynn on his own. The court had invited him originally to respond to our petition for writ of mandamus, making, seeking to make him dismiss the case, which is what the law requires. But then on his own, he set out to act as if he were a party in the case. 
and got his lawyer to seek rehearing on bonk as, as if he were a party. That's completely impermissible, unprecedented. It, the court should not have even considered it. It should have been dismissed outright. But instead, the Court of Appeals granted that en banc review, reversed the mandamus order of the original panel that had told him he must dismiss it, and created a whole new scenario pursuant to which he could have the hearing that he'd been wanting to have that was also unprecedented. He hired his amicus, his friend of the court, to oppose our dismissal. Uh, out of the uh, Washington Post from a vitriolic op-ed he wrote suggesting that the judge didn't have to follow the law at all. So it's been just a remarkable series of events. And And then at the hearing itself, it got even worse. Well, first of all, he didn't act forthwith, which is what the Court of Appeals told him to do. He issued a scheduling order that was going to take until September 21 to even have us file a status report, and that would have been three weeks after the court's opinion when they told him to dismiss it forthwith. It's uh, extraordinary. And then you had some frustrations during that September 29th hearing with the way the judge treated you when you tried to uh, make your first effort on a motion. Describe what that was like and how unusual that is for a judge not to allow a defense attorney to have their say. Well, he was very uh, abrupt and dismissive of anything I had to say. I was going, because of the number of things he said to begin with that were both false and um, tainted, I had to move to recuse him right there in the hearing. I didn't want it to go on. It should not have gone on. And he wouldn't even let me state the full basis for the motion. He said, you you just have to file it and that I should have filed it already. Well, there's no time frame, <laughs> per se, on seeking recusal. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, the Court of Appeals had already effectively said, oh, you know, he's not disqualified by virtue of having filed a petition for writ of mandamus, which is flat wrong. So I had to make a record of what had happened and seek recusal in the district court to preserve our right to seek his disqualification and have whatever he does reversed if he doesn't dismiss it with prejudice. It's remarkable that this is still going on, given the extraordinary pieces of evidence that you've drawn out of the FBI and the Justice Department. I think all of them, and I haven't had a chance to talk to you since this came out, but the the affidavit or the uh, interview report of the FBI agent who worked this case uh, was the lead on the Flynn case, tried to close it down in November, tried to close it down in January 17, November 16, and kept getting overruled by the higher-ups at the FBI. As you look back now, we've had a couple of weeks to digest that extraordinary document. Um, how troubling is it to you, and uh, what does it say about the state of the FBI, at least at the end of the Comey era? Oh, my goodness, John. I, I, there needs to be a massive sea change in the whole attitude and all the processes of the FBI. They have just gone off the rails at every level. Well, I would have felt a lot better if this agent had spoken up four years ago. I'm certainly glad he spoke up now when asked, but what we have all been through, what the country's been through for the last for at least three years with the Mueller investigation and all of that mess should never have happened. 
And I know Sean Hannity always says, well, you know, 99% are good. No, the, the corruption and the whole mental attitude about their jobs, their hubris, their lack of integrity extends far deeper than, than 1%. And I, it has to be almost pervasive for no one to have spoken up and just screamed out about everything that was going wrong in this investigation. There were a lot of people involved. There were at least 40 agents that transferred from the Hillary Clinton email right. investigation to, to the uh, a Russia hoax. And they all knew it was a hoax. Yeah, no, it's it's a remarkable uh, wall of silence that occurred for two, three years. And uh, it's only now, and, and we've had a hard time even with the current director who wasn't even there when this started, but Christopher Ray, it appears that you've had a hard time getting the remaining evidence. What is still outstanding? What documents do you think you still need to see uh, in order for you to have a complete picture about what happened? Obviously, you've got a strong enough picture to make your argument for dismissal, but what other documents do you think still need to be declassified, released, so that the American public and your client can get a complete 360 view of what the FBI did to him? Well, we still don't have the original FBI 302 report of the interview or the next draft after that. Unbelievable. Nor do we know how many drafts there were following that until we got the ones that we got that show right. material changes made, especially after they showed it to Vice President Pence and convinced right. him that Flynn had lied to him, which wasn't true at all. And uh, we have never gotten his briefings to the DIA. We know that he briefed the DIA and the FBI had access to those briefings that he about all his foreign contacts with Russia and with Turkey. And there was nothing nefarious going on at all. They knew all that. So there, there's still a lot of information out there and, and no telling what else we don't know. It's almost numbingly remarkable that the document in which they built the entire case against Michael Flynn, that he, alleging that he lied to investigators, that the original FBI report, the very thing that the should be the principal evidence of guilt or innocence, is still not in the public domain and not even in your hands as a defense lawyer. How can that be, given that the FBI has all these backup systems and computer systems? Uh, is Chris Ray just keeping a game of keep away? Either that or John Durham has it because somebody should be prosecuted for falsifying it. Right. But that doesn't prevent... But it has to be there. Yeah. Right. It has to be there it, or the trail of its destruction has to be in the system. Right. Yeah, that's such an important because point. Because people have referenced the agent coming back and writing writing his report that very night. Right. In fact, there were text We've messages seen. where Lisa Page and Peter Strzok were talking about editing it, too, if I remember correctly, right? They were they were doing edits on it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And the only they version you have is what, what, from it. eight months later, or seven months later, right, in August? Is that correct? The version? Uh, no, I have, I have versions as early as, I think it's February 10th. 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 Okay. Maybe, so. maybe one, maybe one before that. Okay. But 13, 14 um, days after the interview. Right. Wow. The ones where they made major changes. Unbelievable. Mm. It's yep. just unreal and uh, no, nowhere to go. So what happens now? You're waiting for the judge to rule on your uh, two things, his motion to, to dismiss him from the case uh, and then his, your motion to dismiss the case, which has been joined by the Justice Department. How does this play out over the next few weeks based on what you know? 
Well, the government filed its own motion to dismiss that was over 100 pages, and then they've, of course, supplemented that with probably another 80 pages of material they've given us. And just after I filed the motion to disqualify the judge, they asked, well, they pointed out how serious those issues are, but suggested that he moot them by granting the motion to dismiss with prejudice. Right. Uh, that would certainly be the best way to proceed, so we'll just have to see what he does. Now, if there's any reason to be optimistic from your side, it's that his lawyer uh, during the appellate court hearings kept saying there's no reason to think that the judge won't do what the law requires him to do, which is to dismiss this. So do you have any confidence he'll dismiss it, or have you given up hope that he's going to dismiss it? Uh, his lawyer certainly held out the, the possibility with the appellate court that that's where he was headed. Do, do you buy that argument? Oh, yes. Well, she said a lot of things that turned out not to be true, <laughs> including how, how limited his inquiry would be. And right. he definitely went far, far beyond the face of the government's motion, which he should not have done. Yeah, great point. But we did our best to answer his questions, no matter how inappropriate they were. So hopefully he will do the right thing. But do I have any confidence in that? No. And, you know, he needs to do it uh, quickly and I'm sure he's going to use the motion to recuse as a basis to say it's going to take longer, but there's no reason either motion should take long. He's had since May 7th on the dismissal motion to figure it out. It was obvious he was very uninformed about a lot of the actual evidence that the government had produced at the hearing. That was another shocking revelation, mm. how little he knew about everything we'd filed or even the motions that were pending before him. What but do you? Oh, this is I, a, I don't know what to say. Yeah, this is a judge that in your book uh, from a decade ago was a was a hero in some respects because of his efforts to root out the bad prosecutions that occurred in his courtroom. What do you think has changed? I mean, why do you think he has opposed? You know, when, it's almost unheard of that the Justice Department and the uh, defendant come together and and agree on something and the judge won't accept it. Uh, what do you think is driving him? Do you have any theories? Uh, anything he said or done that makes you? wonder whether what's his motive for, for dragging it out the way it has uh, been dragged out. Well, <laughs> there's only one really big difference between the situation in the Ted Stevens case that I bragged about him for six years about right. in License to Lie and this case, and that is the name of the attorney general that requested the dismissal. Mm. In the Stevens case, he even said on the record the other day, that Eric had asked him to dismiss that case. On a first being basis with the attorney general, huh? Obviously. Wow. That's telling. And, uh, and maybe not on, has he referred to ten, attorney general Barr at any point? And how does he refer to him? <laughs> uh, not, not favorably. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt that there's a, so do you, in your mind, it really comes down to political bias. Is that, is that how you see it? I, th I think that's a reasonable conclusion that can be drawn from the comments and the evidence and the tenor and everything at the hearing. Yeah, I would encourage people to go to my website, sydneypowell.com, right. and read the motion to disqualify themselves. All the motions and exhibits are posted there. Yeah, it's a great motion. I, I read it and we, of course, had it up on justinnews.com right after it happened. But uh, it is worth reading. And also, you've got some of the other important documents up there that really show the nature of this fraud that was perpetrated in uh, in the American justice system. 
when you look out now, there's not going to be any indictments. It doesn't appear by Durham before the election. Uh, we're not going to get a report. We might get some more declassifications um, three weeks from election day today, uh, actually. Um, what do you think is the most important thing the American public should know that you don't think they know yet? That it's absolutely imperative we give Donald Trump a second term so he can do the work he wasn't able to do in the first term because of all the hoaxes thrown at him. It's absolutely imperative. The only hope we have for the rule of law surviving and this country surviving is to reelect him. Well, that's a pretty powerful message. And um, Sydney, I know you've got to run. I want to thank you so much for all you've done and for uh, joining us on the show again. And uh, let's keep in touch because I assume there's going to be some big developments in this case in the not so distant future. Thanks so again so there much. definitely should be. <laughs> thank <laughs> you, John. All right, folks, <laughs> we're going to come right back for a commercial break and wrap things up for today. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner. Whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite, you and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where, yeah, we've had a lot of Russia news the last few days, an unusual amount. But don't forget, we've also had the Amy Coney Barrett confirmation hearings. We're covering that wall to wall with video, live coverage, blogging, news, analyses, exclusive stories, fast file stories. So if you want to find out quickly what's going on, you don't have a lot of time to watch it, and you're going to let us watch it for you and tell you. Go to justthenews.com and click on the Amy Coney Barrett coverage, and you'll get the very latest from our very neutral, honest, fact-driven reporters at justthenews.com. Uh, special thanks to Sydney Powell for taking so much time to talk to us today and for all the reporters who've helped me over the last few days work on all of those Russia revelations we just talked about. We'll be back tomorrow with another great guest, more big news, probably a little bit of talk about Amy Coney Barrett. But we're going to call it a day. We'll be back with you tomorrow at John Solomon Reports and justthenews.com. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Hey there, it's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore 
of every story, but this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe.